The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Tuesday morning, May the 10th, 2022. It is 8.03 on your uh, Tucson Tuesday. And whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com or your Alexa-enabled devices, I definitely appreciate you tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show as we try to put together something great for you every single day here for two hours from 7 to 9 every weekday. You can also check out the podcast anywhere you download your podcast. You can go to ESPNTucson.com for the links or just go directly to your uh, your podcast uh, uh, providers and you can look for this, the, the Jeff Dean Show there and listen at your leisure somewhere in the future. Regardless, wherever you're listening, I appreciate you guys. I know that you have uh, choices to make of where you want to spend your time listening to get your sports news information, entertainment, opinions, whatever have you. And appreciate you choosing the Jeff Dean Show here every single weekday as Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Uh, not a whole lot to get into locally today. Um, I may get into some comments on John Wilner's piece that he put in the uh, San Jose Mercury News where he's basically predicting the Pac-12 based on what we've seen in this offseason so far, whether it be through recruiting, transfer portal, and spring you know, scrimmages and such. They, uh, uh, he decided to put together a, a, a prediction sheet for the, uh, for the North and South Divisions. I may get into some of that. I'm not exactly sure if we'll have time, but, uh, you know, much like Frank the Tank, not sure if we'll have time. There's, look, every year, we, you know, we talk about this every single year in the NFL. There are teams who made the playoffs year to year that weren't in the playoffs the previous year. And, in fact, it's been going on for I don't know. I think what what was it, what was the number at 28 consecutive years I think right now where at least 5 of the teams in the playoffs will not be in the playoffs next year where teams fall out and new teams come in. There's always new blood in the NFL. That's part of the allure of the NFL is the league parity. There are dynasties no more and it's a lot of it is because of salary structure, you know, the fact that you have so many players on a roster there's tons of coaching and front office turnover, not to mention there's a, a, a new, I guess, swell of development at the collegiate level that is bringing in more talented players ready to play day one, which makes the draft that much more important so you can build your team around young players where you're spending less money. There's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of factors that go into whether you're a good team or whether you're a bad team. Some teams just suck year in and year out, and that's what we expect out of them. Uh I don't think any of those teams will be on this particular list I'm going to share with you, but nonetheless, we're going to give it a try here. These are my so – I have essentially like two lists. One is a very, very short list here. My first list are teams who finished last in their division with the best chances to either win their division or make the playoffs in 2022. There's basically two choices here. One is the Baltimore Ravens. They finished – in last place, in a tie with the Browns overall record-wise. They're both teams were 8-9. and nine. The Browns had one more win in the division than did the Ravens. Now, the Ravens weren't in last place because they were bad. 
the Ravens were in last place because they were completely wrought with injury last year. And so much so over the last three seasons that it has caused basically an internal uh, investigation into why they've had so many injuries over the last two to three years. Is it the turf at the stadium? Is it the turf at the practice field? Is it their team doctor and training staff? Is it their practice methods? You know, what is going on in Baltimore that is causing this this unbelievable, uh, I, I guess, epidemic of injuries over the last three years? Again, they weren't a bad team. They were just an injured team. They were a team that that couldn't uh, you know that, that that couldn't stay healthy enough to put the right guys on the field to win football games. Now, they are a team who you know, they've done a lot in the offseason by just getting healthy, right? They did some work in the offseason in the draft. They traded away their deep threat in Marquise Brown to the Cardinals, so not exactly sure what GM Eric DaCosta is going to do to fill that void. Um, but with Hollywood Brown gone, none of the six, rec- six receivers remaining on their roster have more than 52 career catches. Now, they could go after a Will Fuller if they want to, an oft-injured deep threat who would basically replace Marquise Brown, or they can make a trade for another receiver out there. So, again, Lamar Jackson may not have the deep threats to throw to, but, again, as I mentioned after the draft, uh, it, it, it may be a situation where they're going back to the old Baltimore Ravens when they led the NFL in total offense, where they basically said, we're going to go three tight ends, and we're going to make you stop our best weapon, and one of the best weapons in the NFL, our ridiculously athletic and uncatchable quarterback. So I think the Ravens are candidate number one of teams who finished in last place in their division to not only make the playoffs, but maybe even unseed their you know, their, their division rivals. Now, Cincinnati, of course, won that division. They finished 10-7 and seven last year, won the division. But that was the team who finished in dead last in the AFC North the previous year so there's a precedent there in that particular division for this kind of thing to happen i think the ravens are the number one candidate to do that my other candidate is the denver broncos okay this is pretty obvious the denver broncos finished in last in the afc west last year seven and ten in his postseason press conference which ended up being his uh you know what we found out a couple of days later was his exit interview if you will uh, Vic Fangio, when they asked him about the season, he literally said, we need to replace our quarterbacks, like all of them. So our quarterback situation was the reason we lost these games. We were in every single one of these games defensively, running game-wise. We were able to protect our quarterback. We have receivers all around. We have talent everywhere. We do not have a quarterback capable of winning football games. He was fired two days later. They went out and hired course they went out and you know and and got uh um why is his name escaping me uh the guy the offensive coordinator from green bay packers and then there there was the the talk that that maybe they'll they'll you know go and and get aaron Rodgers in a trade so that didn't happen so they end up going and getting russell wilson now the broncos at seven and ten last year obviously upgraded a quarterback now the rest of the afc west has also upgraded so how much of an upgrade is the Russell Wilson, essentially, are the Denver Broncos five wins better, let's say, 
with Russell Wilson with their current constructed roster. Could the, could the Broncos go from seven and ten to twelve and five? Because twelve and five is probably what it's going to take to win that division. It's what's won that division the last two years. Can't see Chiefs twelve and five last year. Uh, and I think with as competitive as that division is, if you can get twelve wins, you can get four wins in the division and get twelve wins on the season. Uh, I think that's good enough to win to win the AFC West, the most competitive, probably division in the history of the NFL, top to bottom. It's just that good. So those are my two picks for teams who finished in last place last year to take over the number one spot in their respective divisions this year. Now, playoffs is one thing, but winning the division is another. Obviously, you get home field advantage. You get a potential buy in that situation, uh, you know, if you could get the best record and whatnot. So those are all things that, that you know, come into play when you're looking at those two teams, in, you know, in, in spe- you know, specificity with those two, key, those two teams. Now, in other areas of the NFL where teams, you know, they're going to be replacing NFL, you know, playoff teams from, from the previous year. As I mentioned, five teams or more, each of the last, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's each of the last 20 seasons have, because I'm just trying to remember if it was 26 or 27 last year, uh, 27 years in a row. So where you see five or more teams, essentially half of the class of playoff teams are gone, are replaced from year to year. So who are the teams who missed the playoffs last season? Who are the top candidates to make the playoffs this season? And as I mentioned, Ravens and Broncos, those are foregone conclusions. I think both of those teams are playoff teams. Uh, Will they win the division? That's the question with them. These are the teams who, you know, missed the playoffs for one reason or for another, have made some upgrades this offseason, or maybe teams around them have downgraded, and now they are candidates to make the playoffs. Number one, the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints lose, you know, of course, they, you know, they're, they're going to be, they lost their head coach with Sean Payton stepping down and resigning, retiring, whatever have you, uh, whatever you want to call it. But they've made some upgrades this year. I know they're going to get Jamison Winston back, who I, you know, look, I, I like Jamis. Uh, I, I think that, that obviously he's a little cavalier with uh, some of his decisions, but there's no doubt in my mind the guy's got a great arm. He's got good accuracy. He can fit the ball into tight windows. Uh, and then they go and get the deal for Tyron Matthew, who even at his age is still good enough to make some plays in that secondary, which is where they really needed some help. Um, they went and drafted a wide receiver, a good wide receiver from Ohio State. They got Chris Olave from, from Ohio State. Then they drafted an offensive tackle, uh, the, the kid from northern Iowa, uh, Penning, to replace uh, Taron Armstead, who went to the Dolphins in the offseason. So, they probably need to address the wide receiver situation again, but if Alvin Kamara comes back 100% healthy this season, they've got a good offensive line. The defense we know is really, really good in New Orleans. And with James coming back, I think that's a team that's going to that's gonna contend for a playoff spot next season. The Miami Dolphins, the aforementioned Miami Dolphins, who obviously made strides this offseason. Tyreek Hill signs the big deal to come in there as a wide receiver. They bring in Taron Armstead. Look, they, they made some considerable upgrades. Where they didn't make an upgrade is at quarterback. And yesterday, you know, I talked about quarterbacks with the most pressure on their shoulders, the most pressure to perform, and Tua Tungavaloa is, is near the top of that list. He needs to be near the top of that list because they've now 
put a lot around him. And this is coming off of a season where there was a lot of talk about the Miami Dolphins looking to be interested in Deshaun Watson, basically unhappy with quarterback play. They have upgraded the offensive line. As I mentioned, they bring in Taron Armstead, who was the number one uh, offensive lineman in free agency this year. They brought in guard Connor Williams. I know there's some there's some questions about depth on the offensive line, but I think just about every team in the NFL has that issue. They had the worst pass-blocking unit in the NFL last year. They were dead last in pass-blocking rating last year. That has to be an upgrade for them this year. But I do believe that they are in position to make the playoffs. I think the defense is good enough. Obviously, they've upgraded some things on offense. Hopefully for them, they've upgraded that position at uh, pass-blocking with Armstead and, uh, and Williams on the offensive line. It's going to be on the shoulders of Tua to take that team to the next level now. Speaking of the next level, Indianapolis Colts were right there, right there. And because of one idiot quarterback, uh, not idiot kicker, as uh, Peyton Manning can say, but one idiot quarterback who is now gone, they were on the outside looking in. This is a very good football team, the Indianapolis Colts. They have talent all over the place. They've got electric pass catchers. They have one of the two best running backs, in my opinion, in the entire league. They've got a stout offensive line, both in the run block and pass block game. The defense is very good. They're a really good tackling defense. They've got some speed on the outside. They're not going to wow people with their pass rush, uh, but it's good enough. And now they've upgraded a quarterback. They've got an adult back there in Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan, who seems, look, look, this is one of those situations where people are like, oh, it's a stopgap, and maybe it is. But I'll tell you what, I've seen it before. Where a guy goes, has has kind of spent his entire career with one franchise and has fallen out of favor. The team got bad around him. He looked bad. He got beat up. You know, this and that. Didn't ever throw the football to anybody. Goes to another situation where there's talent, there's support, there's a good coaching staff in place there at Indianapolis. And I think Matt Ryan is going to find somewhat of a fountain of youth. We know that Matty is a great competitor. And going to a team like Indianapolis, who was right on the precipice of being one of the best teams in the AFC last year, they just needed some help at the quarterback position, right? So they now upgrade there. I think the Indianapolis Colts are an easy choice, easy choice to make the playoffs last year or this year where they weren't able to make the playoffs this past season. Nine and eight last year, again, things just kind of didn't fall their way. They were terrible at home last year, four and five at home. Um, I think all that changes with, with Matt Ryan this year. They are going to be good enough, and they are a threat to win the uh, the AFC, uh, AFC South, in my opinion. The Los Angeles Chargers, a team last year who we saw, of course, brilliant flashes of, another team that finished 9-8. and eight. We saw the emergence of a young quarterback in Justin Herbert and are, are expecting you know, big things out of them this year. However, the upgrades around them in the AFC West – have been monumental, whether it's things that KC has done, things that the Broncos, of course, have done, the Raiders, all the moves that they made. And the Chargers, you know, they they could have gone out there and made some really big deals. What they instead decided to do is pair up Joey Bosa with Khalil Mack. So they bring in, you know, they make a trade for Khalil Mack, bring in a, a guy who is still, I think, at the end of his prime, but still there. I think it still will show flashes, especially with a talented edge rusher opposite of him. 
can can be a real problem. They went out and went into free agency, got J.C. Jackson, really talented corner, uh, was probably you know one of the top three corners in free agency this year. They didn't do much. They didn't do much around Justin Herbert to upgrade, but I don't think they really needed to, to be honest with you. They drafted an offensive lineman in the first round again, a guard. Uh, I thought they needed a tackle, but they went and got a guard, whatever. Uh, maybe they you know, they like to have the interior shored up a little bit better and didn't like the, uh, the tackles that were out there. But I think the Chargers are another candidate for a team who didn't make the playoffs last year to make the playoffs this year. Now, my next two are going to be stretches because there's always a stretch every single year. You know, one or two teams, you're like, man, I can't believe that team's even in it right now. And I think this team is going to be in it just because the rest of their division is trash. Like, it, it, it is, I don't want to say it's imploded. One team has improved a little bit, but the other two teams aren't going anywhere. The Minnesota Vikings, they traded down several times in the draft. They wanted to acquire more picks, and they needed specific talent in the secondary. That's where they were they were hit the worst, not only last season, but in the offseason. So they go out and they get Lewis Seen, uh, Safety, and Andrew Booth, both who are going to play day one in that Minnesota defense. They've got a brand-new coaching staff. they got new front office. This is going to be the last year for Kirk Cousins to prove himself in that offense. And, look, if it doesn't work out for them, they're going to blow up that entire roster. They, I mean, I'm telling you, they will blow up the entire thing because they're going to put a lot of faith into the guys that they hired on the field, on the sidelines. Uh, and, and with that collection of players, I believe that this is the last gasp for them. And I think they may know that. I think collectively those players there might know that. And when you look at the rest of the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, I think a lot of people are questioning whether they're going to be able to score a whole lot of points this year. Their defense will be good, but I'm not exactly sure where all the offense is going to come from. The Chicago Bears are still quite a ways away, and they're completely retooling their uh, both sides of the ball and the front office there. And the Detroit Lions, as hungry and hard as they fight for Dan Campbell, are still not very talented, and you've still got Jared Goff pulling the trigger on the passes there. So... I think the Minnesota Vikings are kind of the natural pick just because they'll be able to get some wins in the division next year, which obviously will, will help them. And I think that the Vikings are a stretch team uh, to make the playoffs this season who didn't make last year. And finally, and this is the biggest question mark in the NFL right now, the Cleveland Browns. Is Deshaun Watson going to play? What are they going to do with Baker Mayfield? Do they, you know, do they do they just cut and release Baker Mayfield? Does does Baker say, uh, you know what, I'm going to essentially denounce my 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 signing bonus, take that off the books, and make myself a much more tradable commodity just so I can go play somewhere, like anywhere? <laughs> so when is that going to happen? You know, they drafted Matt Corral in the third round of the draft, so obviously they don't want Baker to play at all for them. But who knows whether Deshaun Watson's going to play at all or not? Ezekiel Elliott was given a, a six-game suspension for being on video touching a girl. And, look, she didn't even really press charges. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't found guilty in a court of law, none of that stuff. He got six games. That's for one incident. What is, what is the NFL going to do with Deshaun Watson? I mean, that, those depositions are still going on. They're still going on this week. 22 cases against him. Who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? But Cleveland Brown said, here's $230 million guaranteed, no problem. Now, questions abound 
they're still very, very talented at a lot of different levels of that football team. Defensively, they're still brilliant. They've got some really great pieces defensively. They've got some good players on offense. And if Deshaun Watson is allowed to play, look out. That could be a team that challenges for the playoffs who uh, were on the outside looking in last year. So those are my choices, essentially. I think the Ravens and Broncos have the best chance to go from worst to first in their divisions. And then the Saints, Dolphins, Colts, Chargers, possibly Vikings, maybe, maybe, maybe Cleveland Browns are the teams who will be in the playoffs this year that weren't in last year. All right. Going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll start previewing Game 5 of the Suns-Mavericks series. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson will be right back. Brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. And uh, you can hear all of the Phoenix Suns action right here on ESPN Tucson. We are your Tucson home for Phoenix Suns basketball. That game tonight, the pregame starts at 6.30, tip-off around 7 p.m. for Game 5 versus the Mavericks. And look, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time previewing the game. I think a lot of people recognize what needs to be done by the Phoenix Suns in order to get this win tonight. I talked about it yesterday. There were all of the things that, that the Suns are doing wrong in this series right now, at least for the you know games three and four that we noticed. And most of them are internal. Most of them are self-inflicted. Most of them are personal motivational type of issues this is what the suns need to do to win tonight this this is it i'm, I'm going to keep it real simple number one monty williams needs to go with a shorter rotation needs to keep cameron Payne out of there because if he ain't going to score and he's shooting 28 percent from the field 15 percent from three in this series he doesn't give them much defensively because he's getting bullied out there they're just they're 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 switching 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 until they can get a switch on um, on Cameron Payne, and then they're attacking him. They're bullying him, pushing, you know, backing him down into the lane, pushing their way through. And as soon as they get both feet in the in the lane, they're able to either get the layup that they need or kick out to one of the open three point shooters. So shorter rotations, I think, maybe even keep Javale McGee out of the game. And I know that Suns fans like Javale McGee because he's athletic and he jumps, you know, a thousand feet in the air and he's fun to watch. But I'll tell you what. If he's not out there blocking shots, he is a defensive liability, and he's only averaging 0.8 blocks per game in this postseason. So it's not like he's given them a whole lot. Because when he's out there, he's completely incapable of running out on three-point shooters. He's completely incapable of stepping out onto the perimeter to defend the ball handlers the way that DeAndre Ayton does. So really, he's hurting you a lot when he's on the floor. And he doesn't give you a whole lot offensively. He's able to run the pick and roll just fine, and he's got a nice touch on his his little you know twelve foot uh, you know you know whatever the the, you know, the the one hander the little kind of uh, baby hook that he's got there. Uh, but outside of that, he, he's hurting the team more than he's helping them, in my opinion. And maybe they just decide to go small if Tory Craig is ready to go. As long as he doesn't shoot the ball, I like having Tory Craig out there. Maybe they go with Ish Wainwright a little bit more, but. 
the, I think the options here are to either completely bench campaign and and go with Aaron Holiday and go with more minutes for Chris Paul, or to go small a lot of the times and and keep the rotation small like that. Uh, where you can keep your lineup small when Da is not able to be out there. So shorter rotations. That's the number one adjustment for the coaches. For the players, they need to heighten their individual effort. That's that's what they need. You need better individual effort from every man out there, and in certain different ways. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways each individual needs to improve their game. As I mentioned, Devin Booker, I was having this conversation with, with a buddy of mine last night. You know, I don't at, at some point Devin Booker is going to have to embody his favorite player growing up, Kobe Bryant. Some, at some point, he's going to have to say, you know what, screw it, I'm taking 35 jump shots tonight. I'm, I'm going to shoot the ball 35 times. And you know what? I won't care because he's the best shooter that the Suns have got. And if he's only taking 19 shots a game, look, I, I, I need more. I need more from Devin Booker. I need more when he's wide open to just take those jump shots. And I know that he wants to keep the offense flowing, and I know that's important for him and important for the coaching staff. But at some point, you know, you got to just say, look, this is going to be Book's game. And Devin Booker has to put that upon himself. And if he's feeling it, that can be a huge, huge boost in the arm for the Phoenix Suns, much like he did in games three and four of the NBA Finals last year. But he just took it upon himself to be like, I, I'm, I'm, we're done here. Like, I, I you know, I, I've, I've been held down long enough. Now, granted, the Suns didn't win those games largely because they were without Chris Paul, and that was a, you know, that was a big reason why. But I want to see more of that from Devin Booker. I want to see less turnovers from Chris Paul. Like, he needs to take that upon himself. He's had the two worst games, back-to-back games, in his life in the postseason. 14 turnovers. 14 turnovers. And he fouled out with more fouls than points in game four. He has got to fix that problem. Whatever needs to be done between the years for Chris Paul, it needs to happen tonight. Whatever's happened with DeAndre Ayton between the years in games, well, the second half of game two, and then all of games three and four. Whatever's going on between the years there, he needs to find something to make him angry. Like, uh, anything. Like, find, do something to make you mad. Slam your, your, your toe in a door. Do something to make yourself angry. You have got to get yourself back in this series. You can look at his numbers. People say his numbers are good. He's averaging 15 and 11 a game. You know, watch the games. This is why we don't just read box scores and tell you, uh, you know, that's the analysis of the game. That's everything you need to know right there, the stats. His, his impact on the games has dwindled mightily, and it's because he has not been in full DeAndre attack mode, dominating, right? That's what we need. We need the DeAndre Ayton that led Shaq, uh, Shaquille O'Neal on NBA and TNT to say, he's not good, he's not great, he's dominating. And that's what we need more of. We need more dominating DeAndre and we need the role players to pick themselves up a little bit better as well. So shorter rotations for Monty, in my opinion, keep Cameron Payne off the, off the court. Just don't, don't even play him. He's not doing any good for this team. I don't see anything changing, honestly, overnight. So just keep him out. And the individual effort needs to be better to a man on that court, to a man. You do that, you fix the problems, you probably win tonight by 20. You don't, you got a dogfight on your hands. And maybe, maybe, maybe a desperation game 
in Dallas on Thursday for Game 6 to try to extend the series to 7, to try to get the series back home to Phoenix to see if you can close it out. That's it. It's just, I mean, I know it sounds simple. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? There's another team that's actually going to show up and play tonight, so uh, you're going to have to play against them. So good luck. Of course, you can hear that right here on our airwaves here as we are your Tucson home for uh, for the Phoenix Suns. All right, we're going to take a timeout. More after this. You're listening to The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. will be right back. Brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. So the D-backs get a 4-3 win last night over the uh, Marlins. They will play again today. You can, of course, hear that... uh, uh, well, normally you can hear D-backs baseball right here on ESPN Tucson. Uh, we'll be having the Suns game instead uh, tonight. But normally we are your home for uh, for D-backs baseball. Madison Bumgarner on the bump tonight for the D-backs. Now, why am I talking D-backs? Uh, you know, why, why are we talking about such a terrible team in Major League Baseball? Well, they're not so terrible. Now, hear me out, okay? because they, they do have a lot of issues still that could end up causing them to have a 100-loss season, as we've long expected. You know, a lot of people have expected this year. The Diamondbacks are 16-14 and 14 on the season. They're two games above 500. They're four and a half games out of first place. Now, they're still in last because the National League West is insane. It's so good. Uh, the Dodgers, 19-8, and eight, have the second-best record in baseball. The Padres also have 19 wins. The Giants, even after getting beat up by the Nationals uh, over the last couple of days, they're at 17 and 12. They've won three in a row. Uh, once again, they go on another streak due to the Giants. They're 17 and 12. The Rockies are 16 and 13. Diamondbacks 16 and 14. The only division in baseball with all five teams over 500. And I'll be honest with you, they're the only division in baseball without two embarrassing teams in it. <laughs> because in in the American League, of course, you got the Orioles who are embarrassing. They're terrible, but they're not even the worst team in that division. The Red Sox are 10 and 19. Then you've got the Central with several embarrassing teams, the Royals and the Tigers being the two most, egregi- most egregious offenders there. In the NL West, the Rangers are bad and the A's are god-awful. And I mean brutally bad. Speaking of brutally bad, in the National League, the Cincinnati Reds, six wins this year, and they've gotten two in a row. <laughs> so Cincinnati Reds are terrible. The Cubs are really bad. The Pirates are a bad baseball team as well. The Washington Nationals stink. The Miami Marlins aren't very good. The Phillies are having a bad start to the season. I mean, all of these divisions have embarrassing teams in them. However, the Diamondbacks, sitting at 16-14, and 14, somehow able to win games, even though they're the worst hitting team in baseball. Dead last in hitting are the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're the only team hitting under 200 as a team. They're hitting 196. Now, lately some of those bats have started to come to life, which is good. Kettle Marte, uh, obviously one of the big ones. But it's the pitching for the Diamondbacks that has been so incredible. It has been so good. And, you know, the starting pitching has been phenomenal. Mark Melanson has been great. (laughs) Uh, 
their, the, you know, the team ERA is at just a little above three and uh, three and a quarter. I think it's like three point three. I think it is uh, for team three point three two for the team ERA. They're sixth in the league in team ERA. And you look at guys like Merrill Kelly, who's given them four quality starts this year. Zach Gallen, who has been remarkable this season with an ERA sub one, a zero point nine five ERA. He's two and zero on the year in his five starts. Uh, granted, you know, if they were able to score any runs or hit the baseball, they'd probably be a hell of a lot better based on what they've done. As I mentioned, Mark Melanson this year gotten himself six saves in the game in 11 appearances. So he's pitching extremely well. Now, you know, look, bullpens are down all across the league. It's, it's crazy right now to see what's happening in Major League Baseball because starting rotations have been so good where games are, you know, three to two, sometimes like four to one going into the eighth inning, and the final score is ten to nine because the bullpens are so stinking bad. I can't remember a time where I've seen more multi-run leads erased in the ninth inning of games. I mean, they're beating closers now. Even closers are unable to get outs in games across the league. So it's been very difficult uh, for a lot of these teams this year. Now, I mentioned the hitting. And it has not been good for the Diamondbacks, as I mentioned. They're the worst hitting team in baseball. They have the the worst uh, the worst batting average in all of baseball. Now I mentioned, you know, Kettle Marte. He's starting to bring that average up. He's been hitting lately. Been hitting a lot of extra base hits. Ten doubles on the season now uh, for Marte. He's hitting two seventeen, but it's coming up. It was it's better than the one sixty two he was hitting a week ago. Uh, Christian Walker hitting one seventy eight, but they're getting some pop. He's got six home runs on the season and is like. 14 hits that he's gotten this year. Uh, Dalton Varsho has been good for them. David Peralta, I think we all know he'll eventually start coming around as well. So they're 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 you know essentially they're fighting above their weight right now at 16 and 14. We know that this is probably not going to last. The young pitching may stick around a little while longer. Eventually, teams will start to settle in with their lineups, and hitting will get better. I think hitting across the league, to be honest with you, has not been as good. Uh, and look, I talked about it last week. You know, the 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 need to for Major League Baseball to change the baseballs. It's just, they're just they're throwing these these heavy wet balls out there, and it's just nobody can hit the ball anywhere. It's 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 sad. Uh, the leading leading team in baseball is hitting two fifty eight. The Rockies, big surprise, and the Cleveland Guardians, who seem to be just hitting titanic home runs in big moments every single night for uh, for Tito and his group over there in Cleveland. So. That was a fun game last night, even though uh, my friend, who's a huge, huge White Sox fan, all, I, my friend works for the White Sox, but also I have a friend who I was watching some of the game with last night. She's a, a she's an outsider, and uh, she was in practically in tears when she when they gave up that grand slam in the bottom of the top of the ninth uh, last night after having that big lead going into the ninth. But uh, nonetheless, look, it's it's been an interesting year, and I, I think that so far, so good for a lot of the teams that we kind of expected. The Yankees are in first place. They're the best team in baseball. They had that 10-game winning streak. That obviously helps. Uh, but there are there are some really good teams. You know, the Dodgers are we're getting you know kind of what we expected. I think their pitching has been just insane in the first 30 games of the season. I, they're not going to keep that up. Their team ERA is below below two. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before in my life. They're not hitting the ball well, but they'll start turning it around. That lineup will eventually figure things out, and they'll start hitting the ball. So uh, it, it's been it's been a good start to the season. We'll continue to watch the Diamondbacks, keep an eye on them as they move through and navigate through this season. I still don't 
you know, I still question a lot of the moves that Tori Lovello makes, especially with his starting lineup. It took him a while to kind of realize that Seth Beer was going to be a guy that they could rely on day in and day out in the lineup. You know, it took him, you know, several games to figure that out, to give him some starts and some, some good some good positioning in that, uh, you know, in that lineup there as a designated hitter. So, uh, you know, there's been some questions there, but I think overall team is, has, has represented themselves well. Again, pitching extremely well. They've gotten some timely hitting when they need to and able to get some game winners, you know, late in games, eight inning, eight, eighth inning, uh, you know, runs, two, you know, two run rallies in the eighth inning that have gotten them some wins. So uh, all in all, I think it's been a, a real nice plus for the Diamondbacks and for their fans, of course, for that organization as we move into the first, you know, 30 games of this season, 16 and 14, still a long way to go. There's always that discussion that Major League Baseball should shorten the season. Uh, you know, I, I think given the the player salaries right now, I don't I don't think that that's a uh, that's a viable thing to you know to do because you know you're going to want those extra games. You know, even though you're only drawing you know some of these teams are only drawing eight thousand nine thousand fans a game, which is you know unfortunate um, that people aren't going out to watch baseball. But I, you know, I think that that shortening the season right now is kind of outside of of the realm of reality because they need that revenue, and the the television rights deals, you know, the te- the television contracts are based on a 162 game season. So shortening the season is not going to happen. For those of you who think that the season is just entirely too long, try being a player in that season and traveling all over the all over the country. Time and time again, you've got families at home. You know, it's, you know, it hits close to home to me. I'm I'm close with several uh, current Major League Baseball players, and I know, you know, what they what they go through. They all live out here. They all have homes out here. Their families live out here because they like it out here. They don't want to live back east or in the south or in the north or whatever. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 a tough grind for them. You know, I know it's it's tough for the fans to sit here through a 162 game season. I get that, but uh, imagine being a player. If there were, a, if honestly, if there were a league that was going to reduce the schedule, I think it's the NBA. The NBA is the only the only league that would reduce its schedule as far as the amount of games played. When you have somebody like Steve Kerr, who's a, a, obviously an extremely well respected member of the NBA of you know the the entire world of sports, when he says that he thinks they should go to seventy two games, I think the NBA needs to start listening to that, and put tighter restrictions on, you know, on, on players sitting out, you know, time, you know, uh, uh, what do they, what do they call it? Management, uh, you know, health management or whatever they call it. I can't remember the, the term for that. Regardless, uh, you know, people want to buy tickets to go see the superstars play. It's a, it's a superstars league and that's what people want to see. So I think if any league were to shorten their, their season, as far as the amount of total games, I think the NBA is the only candidate out there to, uh, to shorten the season, and it's specifically because of, you know, the, the 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 way that coaches manage their superstars, giving them nights off time and time again. Shorten the season to 72 games, and you say, look, you can't miss more than three games outside of an injury. So if you have an injury, then you go on the injured list, and you know you you play that play that little game like it's supposed to. But there's no more of this, you know, DNP coach's decision. No no more of those. You get 72 games, you can make it. <laughs> okay, you're going to be fine. And that's only five home games for each. And I know it's you know for teams like the Suns who get 18, 19,000 fans per game, that's a that's a pretty considerable dip. 
in uh, in the the amount of revenue, but it'll all come back when the new CBA comes around and say if we're only playing 72 games, players aren't going to make as much money, the maximum deals are going to be less. It's all going to even itself out. So, but again, I don't think that'll happen. But I think they're the only candidate to have a shortened season. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, I'll put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson will be right back. Brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Final segment today's edition of the show. Tune in to Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6 as they'll lead you right up into the Suns and Mavericks game 5 in Phoenix. Of course, coverage is going to begin there at 6.30, and uh, the tip-off will start somewhere shortly after 7 p.m. Speaking of Justin Spears, number one, he got his name said on NBA on TNT last night because of a tweet that he sent out, which is funny because I was thinking the same thing when I was watching that Warriors and Grizzlies game. I'm like, that poor Mike Brown is going to get fired before he gets a chance to take on his uh, his, his job with the Sacramento Kings as bad as this team is playing without Steve Kerr as the head coach right now. Thankfully, they were able to fight back for him, and he was able to save his job. Justin tweeted it out. Chuck got a really, really good kick out of uh, out of the comment and the uh, the meme that was sent along with it, or the gift that was sent along with it, and uh, and said, Justin Spears, I like that. And mentioned his name on the air. That's big time for Jay for Jay Spears. I, I'm 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 happy for him, man. That's cool stuff. Uh, Chuck's a great guy. I've had a lot of great conversations with Chuck, and and uh, he is he's as genuine as they come. Love the guy. But speaking of Justin, he did a, a, a an amazing job of tracking down a former Wildcat player who's now embroiled in a war, a literal war. Um, he spoke with Kirill Nadijasko, uh on a on a Zoom call, interviewed him from the Ukraine. Uh, for a little while, and put it on his podcast, the Wildcast podcast. Also has the uh, the transcript and the article up on the Arizona Daily Stars website at Tucson.com. I implore you. I'm, I'm not going to read anything from it. It's, that would do a uh, disservice to the job that Justin did and the words of Kirill. But uh, you can feel, feel free to check it out. I, in fact, I implore you to go to Tucson.com to read the article uh, and if not, download the podcast and listen to the podcast and the actual interview that he gave. It is, it's it's rough, man. It's it's really it's a it's a it's a tough read, um, just because to understand what he's going through. I mean, you would never be able to put yourself in his shoes. You can only sympathize. You cannot empathize with what Kirill is going through over there and all the people over there in Ukraine with the invasion of their country by their neighbor. Um, and all of the the little problems that exist, you know, like there's, you know, Justin asked him, he's like, how, how do how can people help? And Carol's basically like, you can't. There's we don't have the technologies here available to us like they have in the states. Not to mention, we're not allowed to go outside of the country and buy things. Like we're you know we can't do that. So it is it's there's some eye opening things in there. There's some heartbreaking things in there. And Justin did a phenomenal job. Of, of tracking Kirill down. Of course, we all love Kirill for the work that he did here as an Arizona Wildcat and uh, wish him and his family and all of the people in the Ukraine all the best over there in their uh, their war that has been put on them by their neighbor who is just being 
greedy, among other things that I can't repeat on the air. So check it out, man. Justin did a phenomenal job of uh, putting it together. So either download the podcast or go to Tucson.com at the, uh, the Arizona Daily Stars website and check out his article there. It does a fine job, and uh, we like to uh, we like to promote Justin's work here on the Jeff Dean Show because he does such a great job and is very passionate about it and uh, got one of the most lovable guys in the business as well. All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Didn't get to a couple of things. Maybe we'll get to them tomorrow or later on down the road throughout the week here on the Jeff Dean Show. Stay tuned for all of that every weekday here from 7 to 9. Thanks to Mireya for uh, stepping in there, coming out of the bullpen to uh, help us while Mary's absent for pushing all the right buttons back in the studio. I appreciate that. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show. I'll see you guys again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. right here at 1490 a.m., 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.